Good to see all you guys. Glad you're here. Uh, we are going to continue this morning with our series, Cultural Captivity. Um, it's been, so far, I, I feel like a, a great series for our church. I know it's been encouraging to me even just preparing the messages and to think through God's truth and the things that we're facing as Christians, as believers today um, in the world we live in. And so we're going to continue this today. Um, we're going to begin reading in 1 John 4. So if you want to find that in your Bibles, go all the way almost to the book of Revelation, back up just a little bit, and you'll find 1 John, and we're going to begin reading in 1 John chapter 4. Um, and so as we do this, I want to kind of set this up for you. I believe there's never been a time as Christians, as people, um, as far as our faith goes, that we need more courage than we do right now. Um, we're facing a lot of challenges. We're facing a lot of unknowns. It seems that things are changing faster than ever. Um, the consistent thing is change. And, and really for us, we need um, to uh, really be able to know how to take courage, to take courage. Um, not that, that courage is always just given to us. Everything in the world fights against us being courageous in the Lord. But the Bible tells us to take courage, and we can do that. And today, this is what we're going to talk about, is how do we take courage in the world when it seems like everything goes against our beliefs, our values um, that we have been given uh, through God's Word um, that Jesus modeled and that we're called to live out. And if I were to give this message a title, it would be called to courage. And the reason I say that is that courage is not just for our comfort, but it's for the fulfillment of our calling. It, it, courage is for the fulfillment of what God's called us to do and who he's called us to be. And if we can take courage, we can fulfill the purposes that God's given us, even in a culture that is against us. And so as, as we look at this, let's jump into 1 John chapter 4. I want to read the first six verses then we're going to pray. We'll get into this. It says, Dear friends, this is the Apostle John writing to the church. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, some of these prophets he's talking about had been within the church. Now they've gone out and they're teaching um, lies. They're teaching things that are not true according to God and according to who Jesus is. But I want you to understand as well that there are other um, means that the enemy uses to tell us things that aren't true. And we need to be able to test the spirits and understand what is from God and what is not. Verse 2, it says, this is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and listen to this, and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak, listen to this, from the viewpoint of the world. Their worldview is that of the world, therefore they speak from that viewpoint. 
and the world listens to them. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. In other words, if it lines up with Christ, then it's truth. If it doesn't line up with Christ, then it's a lie. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for truth. I thank you that what Jesus said, God, is a reality, that we can know the truth. And if we hold to your truth, God, the truth will set us free. I thank you today that you give us courage. Every single person in this room is facing something that is challenging us. Something that could cause us to want to wilt or to fold or to shrink back. But God, today, I pray that through the power of your spirit, you would encourage. I pray that no lie of the enemy would rob us, Lord, what you've called us to be and who you've made us to be. Lord, just speak to our hearts. Lord, just as we did earlier, even now, we join, God, with those angels in heaven who cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move in our hearts now. God, I'm thankful today that there's power in your message. There's power in the gospel. And I pray that through it right now, you would strengthen, embolden, and encourage that we could live out this life as your people, even in the face of opposition. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of y'all, and I would imagine this is probably all of you at some point in your life, you have been talking to somebody, and even as the words are coming out of their mouth, you're going, this joker's lying right? Like, you know, like sometimes it's easy to tell too, because they kind of get that crazy look in their eye. And, and you just know like this, this joker is crazy, right? And, and you know, like they are not telling the truth and it is easy to recognize. And you know, like, and, and here's the other thing, they will tell that lie so many times that they actually begin to believe it. You know, people like that, they just begin to believe what they say because they've said it so many times, it must be true. And you can kind of pick up on it and you can tell when they're lying and, and you recognize it very easily. The challenge though is a lot of times what's untrue is much more subtle than that. It's not so easily detectable, especially when we've heard it over and over again. And what we know as normal seems to be what we've been told or what we're hearing. One of the things that Jesus was so good at was he was so good at causing these worldview train wrecks where he would make people step back from what they always knew and re-examine it. He would say things like this, you have heard it said, but truly I tell you. And what he was wanting them to do is to, to, he was taking the truth and really ramming it up against what they'd always known. And he's saying, you need to step back and analyze this and check it and see, is what you've always believed the truth? And we need to do the same thing. We need to allow God's truth to cause us to have worldview train wrecks, 
Because not everything that we've heard and not everything that we've even believed is true according to Jesus and according to God's word. When we look at this in 1 John chapter 4, John is basically laying it out for us that there are two spirits that operate in the world, only two. There is the spirit of God and the spirit of Antichrist. Now, the spirit of Antichrist can take a lot of different forms, a lot of different shapes. It, it can, can look in, in different ways. But there is the spirit of God and there's the spirit of Antichrist. And what he's telling us is this. In the world, there are two different systems that exist. There are two different patterns that exist. There are two different designs that exist. One is God's design, God's pattern, God's system. The other is the pattern of the enemy, his design and his system, and they are at odds. It's why he calls this the spirit of Antichrist. We hear the Antichrist and we're like, ooh, right? And one day there will be the Antichrist who comes. But if you think about the spirit of Antichrist, it is exactly what it sounds like. It is against Christ. And the enemy that we have, Satan himself, he has set up a system that is against Christ. He despises Christ. He despises anything to do with God and holiness and righteousness. And he has set up a system in the world that goes completely against God's design. You think about God's design. When he finished it and it was all perfect and beautiful and good, he said, looked at it and he said, it is very good. But now we know this from Scripture that Satan is the God of this age, that Satan is the prince of this world, that even has authority over some of the, the, like the, the way things are set up. He offered to give Jesus these kingdoms. And we look at this, we see that there is also his design. And when we look at what's going on around us, some of the things we see going on around us that are so bizarre and so insane and so obviously wrong, then we can see scripture is true. Scriptures like 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, that tells us that the God of this age have, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. To get to some of the conclusions we're drawing in culture today, the only way for that to happen is that our minds have become blind. That the God of this age has blinded us to God's design through his lies. When we look at scriptures like Ephesians 6, 12, we understand that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the powers and principalities, the spiritual forces of this dark age. We're not fighting against flesh. We're fighting against the spirit that's behind the actions of that flesh. And many times we're fighting, as Paul said, like we're beating the air. We're fighting against the wrong thing. When the true battle is spiritual, it's not carnal, it's not fleshly. In 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, Paul tells us, he says, we don't wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not carnal in nature. He says, but the weapons we have are powerful and effective for pulling down strongholds and everything that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we can take captive every thought, every pretense, every lie, everything that doesn't line up with who Jesus is and the truth of God's word. He says we can take that captive and bring it into obedience of Christ. 
so we don't have to fall into the lies of the world. We have a weapon, and that weapon is the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And we can look into His Word, and we can see what is of the Spirit of God and what is not. And we can recognize the lies of the enemy. Here's what happens in culture today and what's been happening since the fall of man. The spirit of Antichrist uses individuals, but even on a larger scale, the pillars of our society to present these lies, to present the things that are against Christ, anti-Christ. When we look at things like the media, politics and government, entertainment, the education system, things like this that are falling more and more into the control of culture as God has been removed more and more. What we begin to see is that the enemy uses these things to present these lies. When all of these things begin to speak, not by the Holy Spirit, but by the spirit of Antichrist, we are fed lies because Satan himself, as Jesus said, is the father of lies. It says there is no truth in him. He can't even speak truth. His native tongue, his, his nature is to lie. And if he can use these pillars of society to lie, he can misdirect us. And I'll tell you this, I believe, I believe this, the number one way that the enemy can control us is by moving us into a place of fear. If he can keep us in fear, he can keep us controlled. And if these pillars of society can be used to lie to us and keep us in fear, then we can be controlled. The powerfulness and the effectiveness of who we are as the church can be mitigated, it can be lessened. And if I'm a believer in Christ, then I have nothing to fear. The Bible tells us that perfect love casts out fear. We have seen and experienced and behold the perfect love of God in Christ. It says that fear has to do with judgment. But the judgment we should fear was placed upon Jesus so it wouldn't have to be placed upon us. Fear is the enemy's weapon to paralyze, to confuse, and to misdirect our efforts. And we can think about other things that misdirect our efforts. We can think about other issues or struggles that we have, but I would tell you that they all come back to this root of fear. Satan's desire is to move us out of faith and into fear. Now understand this, faith and fear, I do not believe are, it is, that it is impossible for them to coexist. I believe that many times faith is continuing to do what God has told you to do in the face of fear. There can be butterflies in your stomach. There can be concern about what's gonna happen. But with a stubborn resolve, we continue to move according to what God has told us, even in the face of the fear. And in that, faith overcomes the fear. 
that all fear is based on a lie. And if he can lie to us, he can paralyze us, confuse us, and misdirect our efforts. He uses all of these manifestations of fear to derail us, things like selfishness. Selfishness is really when we are valuing ourselves above others. The lie is, I won't have enough if I don't put myself first. It's something that is ingrained in us. It is a fear of loss of value, self-gratification. It's looking to fulfill godly desires in sinful ways. Just want to gratify myself. But we need to understand that right desires fulfilled outside of God's design leads to destruction. There are really good things. They're intended to be a blessing, but outside of God's design, they are destructive. Food, anybody like to eat? Yeah. But listen, when it's abused, it becomes destructive. Sex, I'm not gonna ask you about that one. Sex is a good thing within God's design. Outside of God's design, it becomes destructive. Self-gratification is birthed in this lie that God will not satisfy me. And the fear is that I won't have enough doing things God's way. I will not be satisfied doing things God's way. How about self-sufficiency? If the enemy can lie to us and get us away from depending on God to depending on ourselves, he has won a victory. Listen, in self-sufficiency, it's depending on our ability. The lie is you have to do it on your own. The fear is enough only comes through my ability. What about shame? Shame paralyzes like nothing else. And it's this pain resulting from falling short. The lie then is you have no value. The fear is I'll never be enough. All of these lies that put us in fear. And yet God, so many times throughout scripture, you can go back and look at this. It's just scripture after scripture after scripture. God talks about us taking courage or being encouraged or taking heart. That phrase literally means to be encouraged or to be encouraged. When he says, take heart, be encouraged, have courage. So many times throughout scripture because we have to face the world and the culture and the fears that come with the courage that God gives. But here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. Just to tell someone, be courageous, it's kind of empty. I can tell you, be courageous in the face of what you're, you're looking at, what you're facing. Be courageous in the situation that you're in. But if courage doesn't have a grounds, if it doesn't have basis, it's empty. I even think about firefighters running into a burning building. It is courageous. But there is something there that pushes them past the fear to take a step of courage, to, to go in and to rescue others. It means much to them to go and, and to begin to, to rescue and pull people out. I think about soldiers rushing into the line of fire there's something that pushes them past the fear and causes them to be courageous. And when we look at this, 
throughout Scripture. This is really important. Throughout Scripture, God's grounds for our courage is himself. God's grounds for our courage is himself. When we look at this, this is really important for us to see. I want us to go and look at some people who God spoke to, was encouraging them to do what he was calling them to do in the face of adversity. And as he spoke to them, I want you to see that the grounds for them being courageous and being strong was God himself. Let's look at Exodus first. Exodus chapter four. This is with Moses. And here's what I know just because of the nature of life. Every person in here is facing some kind of challenge. Some type of fear. Fear of inadequacy, health fears, family fears. Fears with your children, fears with your spouse, fears of not being good enough, shame, guilt, condemnation. Every single person is facing these types of things. We look at Exodus chapter 4. God has called Moses to go to Pharaoh and to, to begin to tell him to let God's people go, to set them free. And Moses doubts that he can do it. But listen to what God tells him, beginning in verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, listen to this. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on the way to meet you. God was already providing what needed was needed. And he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to say. He will speak to the people for you and it will be as if it, he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. Look at this, he had given him a staff. He told him to throw the staff down. It would become a snake. He said, you know, pick it up. It, it became a staff again. He told him to put his hand in his cloak, pull it out. It was leprous. He put it back in. He came out. It was whole. He told him he could take blood from, or water from the Nile River, pour it on the ground. It would become like blood. And then he tells him, look, I know, Moses, that you can't speak well. But the reason for Moses to take courage, even with Aaron coming to, to him, it was not in the fact that Moses could do it on his own. Moses was to take courage because it would be God's ability, not his own, that would make it happen. And in the world today, we struggle because we, we feel like if I don't do it, it's not going to happen. I've got to make this happen. And we hold on to control so tightly 
instead of yielding it to God. One of the things I've had to grow in and what I do, especially on Sunday mornings, is to trust God and his word. Mornings that I don't feel like I've got it all together, which is pretty much every Sunday morning. Mornings that I'm in my office and my stomach's hurting and I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can speak well for you, God. I'm brought back to the fact that it's not the power of the messenger, it's the power in the message. And all I have to do is present to you God's word. I've told you this before, but I can remember standing in Statesboro High School, looking out the cafeteria windows and cars just pulling into the parking lot. And the thought I kept having is, why are they coming back? It wasn't because of the messenger, it was because of the message. And that's basically what God is saying. He's saying, Moses, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just lean into me and my ability, I'm gonna do this. And isn't that what grace is? God's ability doing for us what we can't do for ourselves? A definition taught to me by Mr. Butch McKenzie, God's ability, him doing for us what we can't do for ourselves. And he's saying, Moses, if you'll just trust my grace, if you'll lean into me, I will give you the ability. I will do it, Moses, just trust me. And I would encourage you, you may be facing something right now that you think I'm not gonna get through with this, but understand every fear is rooted in a lie. If you are in fear, you have believed a lie. I was at the gym one day, I was facing, there were three or four big things I was facing. And I'm just in there and I'm just, just realizing, finally it just hits me. I'm like, why am I so fearful? And it was in that moment God spoke to me. He said, you're believing a lie. You're believing that things aren't gonna be okay. And sometimes that comes down to our ability. He says, Moses, will you trust me with my ability and not lean into your own? Go to Joshua chapter one. Got to go to the right, flip through. Joshua chapter one, after Moses dies, this is what God speaks to Joshua in verse five. He's telling him he's gonna lead these people into the promised land. And he says this, no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. Listen to this, this is so big. This is such a great promise to Joshua. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servants Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. In other words, hold on to the truth, Joshua. that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Listen, then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Listen to this. Here's the grounds. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. For Joshua, the grounds for Courage was God's presence. 
And certainly that's true of Moses and the others we'll look at, but it's specifically spelled out to Joshua. He's saying, Joshua, you know all the incredible things you saw me do through Moses because I was with Moses? I'm going to be the same way with you. And my presence will go with you and be with you. He said, you'll never go anywhere that my presence isn't there. And don't you know that is true for you as a Christian, that you can take courage, you can be strong and courageous because the presence of God is with you wherever you go. Right now, you may feel like the loneliest person in the world. You may feel like everybody in the world has forgotten you and given up on you. But guess what? If you are a believer in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you and dwells you and you are not alone, nor will you ever be alone. Because he is with you. Joshua could take courage because the Lord, his God, was with him. Look at Judges. Go to Judges. Flip over just a little ways. Judges chapter 6. We come to a man by the name of Gideon. Gideon is now being called by God to lead God's people against the Midianites who were ravaging their land, destroying their crops. Verse 14 says, The Lord turned to him, turned to Gideon and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? Listen to this. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Take note of all the promises that God is giving his servants. Notice this. God tells Gideon, and Gideon is actually called. He's in a wine press threshing wheat. You don't thresh wheat in a wine press. You thresh it on a hill. So when you throw the wheat into the air, the wind blows the, tr- the chaff away from the seed. The seed falls. You get the seed, and then you have your grain. And so he's hiding from the Midianites. An angel shows up and says, Behold, mighty warrior. Gideon doesn't see himself that way, but one of the great things about God is God always looks at our potential of who we will become, not who we currently are. And when we begin to realize that, and he calls Gideon, and he says, look, he, he says, go to the Midianites. He says, excuse me, sir. He says, go in the strength that you have. And he goes, excuse me, sir, listen, you don't understand. I, I'm of the weakest tribe. I'm in a wine press threshing wheat. Do I look like a mighty warrior to you? And God just says, go in the strength that you have. And here's the thing I want you to see, that God is encouraging him. Look, you may be weak, but I am strong. And if you won't lean into your own strength, but you'll lean into my strength, you're going to be okay. And here's the thing I can tell you. There are days in your life, and you may be facing one of those days right now, but the truth of it is this, that you may feel like you, can take, you can't take another step. That's the lie. The truth is, with God's strength, you can keep going. The truth is that I don't have to shrink back. I can tell you there have been days in my life, even in the last month, that I thought, I don't know, I can't keep going. I'm so tired, God. I'm so exhausted. And yet God gave me strength. There have been days in my life where I know I had no strength. 
but God gave me the ability to take another step. There have been times when I was so overwhelmed, I felt so weak and so inadequate, but God's grace gave me strength to continue to step. There have been days when I looked at my life and I thought it is all over. But if we won't lean into our own strengths, and we will lean into God's strength and his grace. He'll give us the ability to take another step. Don't quit. One more, 1 Samuel. Keep going to the right. Chapter 17, verse 33. This is David and Goliath. And when we look at this, you, you know the story, even probably if you hadn't been in church, you've, you've heard the story of David and Goliath. And what an amazing triumph. What a great act of courage. And as David is volunteering to fight the giant who was defying the armies of the living God, King Saul, who David ultimately replaces, says this. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the Philistines and fight him. I wanna stop right there because I don't wanna miss this. For some of you, the lie that you're believing is that you are not able. You are not able. And here's what I wanna tell you. You may not be able, but God is. There may be more than you can handle, but it's not more than God can handle. And Saul presents David with a lie. You are not able. But David knows the truth. And listen to this. He says, you can't go out against the Philistines and fight them. You're only a young man. The world will always point out your deficit. But God can take that deficit and turn it into a strength. You're only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. Listen to this. He has defied the armies of the living God. When the world around you begins to defy God, you need to understand that it may look like a giant, but God is greater. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. See, here's one of the things we have to be consistent in turning to. If we want to find courage in the face of the giant, we have to turn to God's past faithfulness. God's past faithfulness will give us faith for the future. And if you will look at the faithfulness of God in your life to bring you through what you've gone through, to get you to where you are, do you really think he's brought you this far to leave you? And when we begin to see this, that God's past faithfulness, it just shows us the truth. Think about how this builds from Moses all the way to David. How much more of God's faithfulness could David see looking all the way back to Abraham and Moses 
to Gideon, to Joshua. And David is here. He's had his own experience of God's faithfulness. And he says, God was faithful in that sheep pen. He's going to be faithful on this battlefield. And for you, in the ways in your life you have seen God's faithfulness, let it bring courage to you in the giant you're facing. How, how do we apply this though? How does this actually work out in our lives? What did each of these have in common? Moses had to trust in God's ability. Joshua had to trust with God's presence. Judge, or, uh, Gideon had to trust in God's strength. David trusted in God's faithfulness. What did they have in common though? They, they realized this, courage comes from praying, praising, and preaching God's promises. I, 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 I know this, they had so many promises. Moses had the promise. Moses, I'm gonna speak to you, and when Aaron speaks, it's gonna be like you are God to him. I'm gonna speak through you, and Aaron's gonna speak, and it's gonna be like me speaking. And I can just see Moses, if I'm Moses, and I'm walking up to Pharaoh, this is the most powerful man in the world. And he's walking up to Pharaoh, and he, he, he's, he knows, like, this is do or die, literally. If I'm Moses, I'm having to go back to this conversation with God, going back to the truth, because the lie is, Moses, this isn't gonna work. And Moses saying, he told me that when I speak, it will be as though he is speaking. That when Aaron opens his mouth, it will be as though I am God to him, that he will speak on my behalf as I speak on his behalf. And I'm leaning into that promise. When I think about Joshua and they're about to cross this raging river by carrying a box into the river and not really even knowing what's gonna happen for sure. When I think about them getting to the other side of the river and high-fiving and being celebrating and then turning around and looking at Jericho and then it's one battle after another. And I know if I'm Joshua and I'm walking towards that river, I'm going, God, you said you'd be with us. You said you'd be with, you are here, Lord. Thank you that you give us courage. Sometimes, man, when I get in these places, I just, I just have to get in my truck and as I'm just driving, I just have to start praising and, and, and thanking him and, and praying his promises. I have to start preaching his promises to myself. You go to Gideon and God has promised him, Gideon, I'll be your strength. Go in the strength that you have because what you have plus what I have is plenty. David, I'm going, you know, he's going, he's picking up rocks as he's going to fight Goliath. If I'm him, I'm sitting there thinking, God, you rescued me from the paw of the lion for all the bear. God, you gave me the ability. Right now, I need that again. Right? Praying, praising, and preaching God's promises. 1 Samuel 30 Verse six, David and his men have had all of their stuff taken, their wives and children have been taken. 
And all the men are talking about stoning him, but it says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. How did David do it? Go read the Psalms. He prayed, praised, and preached to himself the promises of God. We have lost the art of crying out to God. My encouragement to you is in the things that you face, you grab hold of God's promises because this is a book of promises. And you begin to pray, praise, and preach God's promises. John 16, 33, this is our ultimate confidence. John 16, 33, Jesus tells us this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. Take heart, be encouraged. Have courage is what that literally means. Have courage. Jesus says, you're gonna face challenges. You're gonna face obstacles. There are gonna be hard days. There are gonna be tough things. There's gonna be disappointment. There's gonna be loss. One day this tent, your body will fail. But he says, take heart because whatever this world throws at you, it's been overcome. And because you are in me, you will overcome. In fact, you've already overcome the world because of your faith. But don't let the world feed you lies. Every fear is rooted in a lie. If you are in fear, then you have believed a lie. Replace the lie with truth by praying, praising, and preaching God's word to you. If you are in shame, then you need to pray and preach God's word to you. Father, I thank you right now that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you, God, that I am enough in him. I thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient because right now I feel really weak. I thank you, God, that it doesn't come down to my ability, but it's your grace, your ability doing for me what I cannot do for myself. I thank you, God, that I don't have to go out and try to gratify myself through sinful things because you are enough and you will satisfy. You are the bread of life. You are the, 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 the water, the spring of life that makes me never thirst again. I don't have to live selfishly valuing myself above others because I know I'll have enough. If I just seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, God, everything will be added to me. I praise you and I thank you for that, God. And I draw courage. And I draw courage and I continue to step. And this is the greatness of Jesus that he is our ultimate confidence and that courage comes from Jesus' victory, ultimately over death, hell, and the grave. I wanna ask our prayer folks that are here, maybe some of our connect group leaders, I'm about to pray, would you come and just stand here? I just want us to be available for people who may need prayer today. For something that they're facing. You may need courage for something today. You may need to know Jesus today. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God through Christ. You don't have the hope that he gives. Then when I pray, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. Let our folks pray with you. Today you need courage. Come and pray.
Father, I thank you this morning for the power of your truth, the power of your word. God, you have been so good. You've given us so many promises. Your promises are life. You are a life giver. Lord, thank you. We worship you today. We pray today those promises. We grab hold of them through prayer. We grab hold of them through praise. We grab hold of them through declaring them with our mouth. And we take courage. We love you. In Jesus' name.